The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Introducing ADT Self-Setup, featuring everything from motion sensors to Google Nest Cams. It can be easily installed at your convenience and adapts as your needs change. You can add more products at any time, and your system easily moves wherever life takes you. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get down for eSports! <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Nerf This, the esports podcast that is short on sleep and long on hangovers. I'm your host, Brian Huff, and I'm joined by at least some of seven. I'm not sure if I've got, I got like three and a half, but I don't know that I have the full seven. Is, is it just uh, the rest of me kicks in after a couple beers? <laughs> is is that the rule? Or? But I think you're on the Balmer curve, right? Like, have you have you crested yet on the Balmer curve and like coming down the other side? Or is that like 10 beers in? Is that where I have to like yell at people in the audience for no reason? And get like super, super sweaty. That's the most important part. A <laughs> couple more beers, man. This podcast gets a... Uh, Goes, you know, goes down that road that it normally does. I'll start sweating. <laughs> this is getting, awful getting the sweats. It's a horrible intro. This is, it's not a balmer, full balmer, unless the entire front row of listening to the podcast has to put like a tarp over themselves, like it's SeaWorld, <laughs> in case they get splashed. <sighs> or like a, like a Gallagher comedy special. Just like, uh, hit the watermelon. Oh, man. It has been a week. We have uh, just returned from BlizzCon. We literally more esports than I ever thought was physically possible to consume in a matter of like two days. You throw worlds on top of that, and it was a hellacious weekend. It was the most simultaneous joy and just pure pain I've ever had at the same time since the last time you came over. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's it's really difficult to uh, watch multiple esports at the same time and comprehend them all. I uh, think thank goodness for vods. But, um, yeah, it was from what I hear, they, they didn't want worlds to even be during BlizzCon weekend, but they kind of got stuck with it. So, yes. And we hate them for it because it was, it was a long week. But that being said, we've got a ton of coverage for you this week. Uh, seven's got the chance to sit down with E-League commentator Rip to discuss the weekend's injustice to world championship action. And I sat down with BR Esports' Alex Magdaleno to discuss League of Legends Worlds. That took place this past weekend at some ludicrous hour. We talk about that, the future of SKT, as well as uh, have we seen the end of the All-Korean Finals? But first, I'm sitting across the table from somebody that I never thought I would sit across the table from. Jacob Wolf from ESPN. Hello, sir. Welcome to the show. You're also sitting across the table from Seven, but, you know, that's a thing, too. 
yeah, nobody really wants to acknowledge my existence. So it's no, all but right. it is weird because you and I don't sit across the table from each other all that often. It, it's true. I hide under the table. Yeah, I'm just drink. Usually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought you were going somewhere with that one. Yeah. Um, so I, I mentioned earlier, I actually kind of feel bad because uh, I was giving seven so much crap over the weekend. Uh, but I actually should give the crap to Brian because uh, your your former host Scott uh, <laughs> about a year ago with the Rocks Tiger stuff uh, was basically saying that my my speculative in quotes uh, article was the equivalent to predicting that a Korean team would be in the world finals uh, because it was public information in a contract database, which uh, that's nothing, but okay. Uh, and Brian uh, Brian followed that up uh, saying, five, you get five journalisms and we'll nominate you for an Esports Journalist of the Year Award for your great world's coverage. So, um, uh, yeah, I have to give you a little bit of crap. That You could give me all the crap because you, ha- you got nominated for the award and you are an actual journalist and we just like yell into a microphone angrily. So, I, I was, I was kind of terrified of what I might have said because we couldn't find it i couldn't i couldn't go back and find it in the feed i was like oh no what did i say we're, we're just like walking around blizzcon yesterday and seven just like would randomly like i don't know what i said i'm trying to remember what i said <laughs> i'm yeah. sorry i'm sorry for terrifying well no no i was just like i know he's gonna call me on the podcast when he comes on and then you walk in the room and you're like oh no it actually wasn't you seven it was brian i'm like yes <laughs> off the hook <laughs> yeah. well we fired scott for those horrible comments and he's can... the worst don't that's not no I mean, we said far worse. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a second, that's the worst thing? True. Yeah, that is very true. So that actually brings up a good point that I want to talk about before we get into some LCS stuff. And talk about like the state of journalism and esports right now and the amount of crap you tend to get from time to time from the general audience because they question the timing of things or, or feel like you should have some sort of loyalty to the orgs of the players that you're reporting on, um, not revealing your sources, you know, all standard journalism 101 stuff that um, unfortunately, if you follow your Twitter account and see the people that interact with you, you do get some crap time to time, including quite a bit for that Afro mentioned rocks tiger story yeah i mean you mentioned some of the the funny stuff that gets in my feed uh, i had an optic fan tweet the other day at me can you make an exception for them so we like so you don't report and scoop their news like you know just the one team and it's like you do realize that would just make everyone want to have an ex- exception right like it, no it's not going to make an exception for anyone you need like uh, an application process where like people can <laughs> fill out a form have to, have to accept it now it's that's ridiculous um but yeah i mean i think it's uh it's kind of a maturity thing right like i think it, it's also because uh, kind of the other thing is I, I think that games journalism actually doesn't have a lot of leaks and a lot of the people that uh, are esports fans read games journalism, not esports journalism. So like the games journalism culture is like you report something that's a leak and uh, you're blacklisted for life from like every developer, not just the one you reported on. Um, and so like we had to deal with that as like a growing pain. But um, generally, I think it's gotten a lot better. And I think uh, now that people are starting to identify a little bit more as sports journalism and there's more more people coming into the space. Um, I think the the one big thing that makes me really sad still is that it's almost uh, financially – it's like not economically stable to do journalism in esports right now uh, at a very high level because it costs a lot of money to do a lot of the stories that, that um, really – get noticed and and change the space you know there's certain stories i can name that really did kind of change the way people look at esports journalism and and i know from personal experience that some of those costs like travel money and and being in certain places certain times and that's not easy especially for some of the smaller outlets um 
So it's really, really unfortunate because we see journalists that I've met that have a lot of talent and they could be something that that's really they could be really good with the proper editor and some right training. Um, but it's not it doesn't make sense for them because you can't really make a living off of it. So uh, they end up like working for teams or like becoming managers and not journalists anymore. And it's it's really sad. Yeah, it's an interesting space. We dealt with this a lot when we first started up because obviously we were working under Bleacher Report, a very traditional sports outlet similar to ESPN, and they had a lot of like weird things we just have to work out. Like, oh, Blizzard wants to pay for your travel. That seems like a conflict of interest, and it's like, great, then you pay for my travel. Oh, well, we're not willing to do that. So, like, how would you like this to work? And it's in this weird zone where it's like one foot in gaming and one foot in sports, and we're trying to treat it like both at the same time. Yeah, and I think, I mean, there's a lot of outlets we've seen just not really get their their audience or where it had. I think we had a brief conversation about this, how there's like a different ranges of, of uh, uh, readers, essentially. There's your casuals, there's your hardcores. And I, I think a lot of what they attempted to go after is that games journalist stuff where we're just going to recap events and yada, 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 and not really dive deep. A lot of times, like like you do, not many, not many uh, articles on other sites have like, coming from a source even it's just like oh yeah such and such site stream. said this and so it's i it, it's sad it's always sad to see an outlet close and, right. and no matter what and, and and so it's just you're you're right i think there's a lot of growing uh to be still to be done in esports journalism to differentiate itself from games journalism and traditional sports journalism I definitely identify myself as very lucky, right? Like, I'm very grateful for where I was. Uh, I came in at the right place, right right time. I came in as what I'm doing into, like, 2014, beginning of 2015, when there was a lot of, like, other outlets that would be great for a start. So, .esports, which I worked there for about a year. Um, The score, I was a freelancer there for about a month. And those people were enabling people like me to kind of start their career and learn without as much spotlight as something like ESPN. Cause you can imagine if you mess up at ESPN, it's, it's your headlines, right? Like it's, it quickly becomes headlines. So, um, I was able to mess up in a vacuum. Uh, and, uh, unfortunately that those, those outlets, the dot or dot and score still exist, but, um, there certainly are others that have gone away and it's really sad because I, I really wanted to see some of those outlets be able to train people that eventually, you know, maybe if we had an opening, we'd look at hiring them and, um, it's sad to not see as much opportunities be out there for people to kind of start and and learn in the vacuum. Yeah, absolutely. We've we had, like you mentioned, the, the growing pains as well being at certain outlets that just don't quite get it. And you also run into outlets, especially the size of ESPN, where they're they've been in a space for so long that they have a certain size readership, they have certain expectations, and that when they start over in a space like esports. It's literally like starting over a, 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 a new company, a new startup. You're, you're diving into a, a, a community, all these different communities that ultimately kind of don't necessarily want a big outlet in there because they're kind of used to keeping it close to their chest or within their 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 group. Um, did you experience like a lot of that at, at ESPN where like people were like, oh, we don't want ESPN here or there was just kind of like this backlash, like especially like a Reddit backlash or just community backlashes whenever you would cover subjects initially. In certain games, yes, uh, because there were a lot of rumors when I first got there that like ESPN didn't like certain games, which is certainly not true. Uh, we want to cover every esports game as thoroughly as possible, and if we don't cover one super well, we want to get better at covering it. Um, you know, I'm not an editor, so I'm not in control of those things, but I certainly like want to help in the games that we lack when I have the time to do so. Um, and uh, frankly, uh, aside from those like few 
few games an example it was actually very welcoming right like there's a novelty to it almost um where when espn first came into like league of legends and it got posted that they're hiring uh the three people they did uh then which was slasher and fion and darren kolinsky which was my report actually uh but oddly enough um so yeah when when that happened um it was actually very well received, uh, particularly in League, um, and has been very well received in Overwatch. And you still have people to go like, "Oh wow, ESPN has this thing," and it's like, "Yeah, we do." And like, we can find us in the, in the little like laydown section in the top of the the page. And um, you know, we're very active. We have a staff of six, and so we we've been actually very well received in a lot of communities. Uh, but Overwatch and League, which I've covered a lot recently, really likes what we do, and I'm really happy with that. Yeah, and it's, there was that time period, what, probably about six months ago, a year ago, when we had, like, WWG got in and got out very, very quickly. Yahoo Esports, you know, obviously shuttered because of the Verizon deal. It was definitely looking like there was going to be a dip in the outlets available to cover, and it was. I was happy to see ESPN be able to stick around and do that type of coverage, because I think... There's only so much that you're going to be able to do by either literally like, oh, I watched the stream and I wrote some stuff about what I saw on the street, which is essentially what a lot of journalists are forced to do because they don't have the travel budgets or kind of the Yahoo esports route of like, I'm going to stand in front of every single person with a microphone and like, you know, get those hot takes after the matches or things of that nature. So it was a tense time because right around the same time Bleach Report was looking to get out with eStream and uh, mm-hmm. there's definitely this period where like, oh, it's going to like rapidly expand and there's gonna be a little bit of a whiplash effect because people are realizing that oh we can't just stick esports in the banner at the top of our site and now we have the millennials right right yeah it takes a little bit more effort than that imagine that yeah imagine that all right so let's get on to some real esports news we have a real journalist with us here so we can actually talk real news might as well take advantage of it yeah yeah it so rarely happens so the eu lcs for the last We'll call it a few months. It's been in a weird place, right? Obviously, NALCS franchising going on. What I perceive to be pressures coming from Overwatch League and their very like rapid ramp up of their franchising model feels like it's caused a bit of a panic over on the EU LCS side as far as like trying to come up with a structure. You've done some reporting over the past few months initially on what was going to be a 24-team, four-region Premier League football-esque type structure where now they're pushed it out a year, going with a little bit more, I guess you can call it traditional as far as esports is concerned, franchising model. What are your thoughts on that? Like, What do you think made them, A, go with something that seemed pretty extreme? We're talking about an expansion of 24 teams. We're talking about all this regionality. And then scale it back to something a little more basic. So first off, I, I think that um, that 24 region plan has been kind of on a whiteboard for a while uh, in ride offices in EU. I think it's something they've thrown around for a little bit. We saw it as early. Uh, Dot Esports mentioned uh, very briefly, like in one sentence, that it was uh, they were considering a Premier League format without a lot of details as early as, I want to say, June or July. Uh, there was definitely something out there that they were considering, and then we came out with the full details of the 24-4, and it was Berlin, Paris, uh, Barcelona, and London. Um so I think that that's been on a whiteboard for a little bit. It's been an idea. And I think why it didn't happen is because of uh, people like H2K. So what started in that process was when we reported in early August, if I remember correctly, because it was right after the, the NALCS de- uh, deadline for applications, and that Splice, Fnatic, Misfits, and G2 had applied to the NALCS. And that being out there clearly started a lot of public community backlash that those four would even consider leaving right because it's we know now they didn't get accepted none of them did they all got declined um but just the idea of them wanting to leave is pretty scary for both riot and both for the public because those are four of the biggest brands there and um 
that actually led to H2K reaching out to me. Um, and I went down to New York and spoke to them and did an interview with them, which became the piece about talk about talking about removing themselves from the league because uh, they were losing millions of dollars a year in operating costs. Um, and that that piece would not have happened without the first one because that that really gave H2K courage to speak um, on record, nonetheless, too. Which like it's very rare in my field. A lot of people don't want to put their uh, their name to anything. Everybody wants um, to be a source. Yeah, everybody wants to be anonymous, which is fine by me. But like, I, on record's always better uh, if it's possible. So, um, and then you saw Unicorns of Love do the same thing on their own later without a journalist. And um, at that point, I think Riot kind of had to reassess where they were going. And the big tension is that the BamTech deal in particular, Riot's hoping to get a lot of sponsorship deals, but the BamTech deal in particular is going to be distributed in North America, or at least partially, because BamTech paid for rights to broadcast League of Legends in there and build an app for Riot. And that deal, I think, is... I don't know the specific figure. It's in the 300 millions over the course of seven years, which is a lot of money. Um, and, uh, you know, the North American teams are going to start getting some of that almost immediately as soon as that app launches and that deal kicks in, which I believe is next year. So... Um, when you see that and you're a European team and you have no idea how you're going to get that revenue sharing yep. and you have no idea what your future is, you're probably really frustrated. And that's why you see a lot of those teams applied. And so in 2019, they'll now be moving to a franchise system. They'll start taking applications sometime next year. I would guess around the summer, but that's a guess, not not a report. Um, and so you're they're going to try to fix the ecosystem in, in Europe. What it seems like the twenty four teams was like, and I get that wasn't going to be out of the game, but it feels like a step too far when you already have trouble with the teams that you have. And obviously, we don't know the details of exactly everything that's going to happen around this franchising. You had reported, I believe, an increase uh, to five hundred thousand euros stipend for the team over the three fifty that they had before. Yeah. So there, there's some additional money, but that certainly doesn't feel like it covers the gap. They don't have a Bam Tech like deal at this point for what is going on in in the EU LCS. It feels like franchising is a superficial thing that without all those other details and those pieces, especially as far behind as it seems that EU is from the N from NA, that this isn't necessarily a fix more than just like, a, hey, here's like an olive branch. We're going to do this in 2019. It's going to get better. But I don't know that necessarily solves the problems that like an H2K or Unicorns of Love are really concerned about. So uh, just to clarify, the BamTech deal actually expands for all uh, Riot broadcasts, okay. not just North America. So it will be North America, Europe, uh, China, the English broadcast in China, and then the English broadcast in Korea, okay. uh, the LCK. So the but does Bam that Tech $300 million get split amongst all of them? Yeah. Or are they Okay. Yeah, so it, um, the way it works in NA right now is that the there's a pool, and Riot made a graphic of this for their original announcement. There's a pool that is comprised of media rights for the league, sponsorship of the league, so your Coca-Cola, your Acer, etc., Team sponsorship, team merchandise, and uh, I believe there's one more in there. And that all gets thrown into a pool. And that's why you see certain teams like Immortals, who loses a lot of money, um, not being in the league because they're not, they wouldn't contribute to the pool. They would just take from the pool. Right. Um, so the, the end goal is if everyone's profitable and we throw money in a pool and it's evenly divided among, or it's uh, like 32.5% to teams, like 35% to players and the rest to Riot, it's a Bow didn't even split three ways. Then hopefully everyone is above board and like everyone's making profit. That's kind of the goal. Um, and so the BamTech does extend uh, deal extends to all of it, but it's only going to start being uh, portioned in NA 
at first until EULCS franchising or another revenue sharing option. And that's why they were frustrated because the, the NA teams get it first. Um, and like, you know, they're probably going to be getting millions of dollars a year from that revenue sharing pool. Um, so in the case of EU, I do think that I, I've heard a lot of optimism to be clear about, um, we don't think that Riot EU, because they're a separate operation for Riot NA, will be as much of a bull in the China shop uh, when it comes to ELCS franchising. Like, yeah, let's just kick out four endemics and just invite new endemics without any brands, or new non-endemics without any brands. Um, I, I've heard that there's more hope that even some of the smaller teams that don't have as much money in EU, they get married with a non-endemic. So they get partnered with a soccer team who owns them now. And that that's encouraged by Riot EU. And I don't know if that's going to happen, but I've heard some real optimism around that. So can only hope that that happens and that it's better that way. Because certainly Europe is a little bit of a different audience. So you're marketing to something different in the European fan. And I think taking away all those brands, unless you're going to pop them with soccer teams, which certainly could happen. Because um, I certainly expect some soccer teams to apply, especially if there's like three-year permanence like there is in NA, like a minimum three-year permanence. Um so yeah, I I do think it fix a, fixes a little bit of the issues, but I'm hoping that uh, because I, I'm hoping that Riot EU, and I don't think they will, but I'm hoping they don't hold grudges for what has just happened over the last four months because the last four months has been a mess. I was just going to ask that. You got to my follow-up because it is slightly concerning. These teams have spoken out. These teams have gone and applied to NA and tried to actively escape from the EU. So it'll be very interesting to see Hopefully that they don't do it. It almost seems it would be more, I mean, obviously detrimental to the teams if they can't be part of, you know, LCS, but also detrimental to the league to lose four to six franchises over a grudge. Yeah, and it's, I think we need to clarify what applying means, actually, Um, the effort that comes with that. I've seen applications that are 250 pages and written by people that that are Harvard professors, right? Like that teams paid people to write for them. And like gave them the information to do. I've seen pages that, or I've seen applications that are like fifteen pages, and it's like they're just absolutely awful. But the majority of them, I would say, they average around one hundred pages, one hundred and fifty pages, and they're like that's a thorough document. Yeah, like, this that's, is not just that, like I submitted a web web form saying I'd like to be in the NALCS. Yeah, like you have to email Riot, you get the application back, and the application says here's the four things you need to talk about, and I believe it's like team plan, brand plan, business plan. Uh, and there's another in there. It's like four points, and and you have to answer all the questions in that app, and then you have to, if you get into phase two, you had to come out here to Los Angeles and go, hey, Riot, like, what are your questions for us? And they just grilled you, like, this is what we want to know about this. And uh, there were, I believe, about a little bit less than thirty teams in that second part of that process. Uh, G two was one of them, actually. They were the only EU team to come out here to Los Angeles and interview, um, and. It's kind of crazy. So it's not like you're just submitting a web form. It's not like you're just writing a one-page document, two-page document. You're writing something that's like hundreds, at least 100 pages, that's like thorough and properly written, and you're putting resources into it. And that amount of effort, I think, means something. Completely. And, and on top of that, they also have a stage where they go through your books, right? Basically double-checking, making sure that uh, you know, you're, you're profitable, you're spending money in the right ways, areas, and so on and so forth, which is what a lot of people speculate is uh, one of the main reasons why Immortals kind of got bounced. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's part of the business plan. Part of that application is you have to submit your books. Uh, you have to show what you're making and what you're losing. And I, I think with the Immortals thing, um, I didn't necessarily agree with the decision at first, uh, but I, the more I've started to understand about it, I am sort of in the middle. Um, I, from the Riot perspective, 
if you have a team that's going to be losing money for the foreseeable future and about to lose more money on the Overwatch League, why the heck would you want them in your league? At least with the other two that, that overlap between Overwatch League and LCS, like Cloud9 and Optic are pretty much breaking even. So, or, or profitable in some cases. So, um, if that's the case, why, like, why would you want one that's just going to sit there and take from your rev pool and never contribute back? And, and why would and the other teams not want that, back? right? Like, right, and the other teams won't want that either. Where you can have a basketball team that like will probably build something profitable in a shorter amount of time because they'll probably only be invested in league and maybe a few other things. Now, you might have known this was going on behind the scenes, but were you surprised by... I think a lot of us on the outside who didn't have backstage information assumed that the NALCS franchising would be just kind of like a moot point, right? They'd go in, they'd take the teams that they have, there might be one or two that switch over, but we're going to see largely a similar NALCS. But with the Cavs and the Warriors getting involved, were you surprised by how much Riot actually shook up the organizations involved? So I actually, predictively, uh, I heard that it was going to be two uh, coming into the process. I heard that Phoenix 1 and FlyQuest were probably going to be bounced, and... Um, I heard that FlyQuest interview went really well. Uh, Wesley Edens, who's like worth three and a half billion dollars somewhere around there, came out to riot and like actually took the time, which uh, that didn't happen. A lot of people sent representatives or CEOs, not the actual billionaire themselves, uh, which I think spoke highly of them and what they want to do. And uh, FlyQuest has made some hires, and even in the last couple of weeks that are from the sports world, that they want to really help build their brand. So I thought Phoenix One and FlyQuest. Uh, I thought Phoenix One was dead for sure. Uh, I think that there was some people that work at Phoenix One that also thought they were dead for sure <laughs> um, before before Riot even started making decisions. And um, so I thought it was two, and I thought they were going to get replaced uh, by the Warriors. And who was the other person I thought? Um, there were a couple of people. So there, there were the Houston Rockets, who actually did get in the league. Uh, Chicago Cubs were in there. Um, and I believe there was like one or two more that I, I was looking at. Uh, Cavaliers were one of them. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so I thought it was going to be two out, two in, and then the first one that I got confirmed that was out was Dignitas, who was not on my predictive list. Um, they were like third or fourth. So actually, the the four teams I thought that would be out were Phoenix One, FlyQuest, Envy, and Dignitas. So not Immortals uh, at first. Um, then that's prediction, right? Educated prediction. So um, first, so on the Friday that Riot had made calls the week that week. Uh, I had heard Dignitas is out for sure, like very firmly. And then I got a call that was Immortals was out too. And I didn't quite believe that. Um, that was really hard to kind of fathom. And that's why you saw me take a couple of days to vet that um, before I was very comfortable. Uh, so I, I just kept hearing it. And like when you hear something enough times, you start to believe it. And then when you hear it from certain people, you start to believe it too. Right. Um, and so... Yeah, so then the the like the following day after Dignitas, I think I, I heard uh, Envy and Phoenix One were out, which wasn't that surprising, right? I said they were on my list, uh, and then Immortals last, and um, I was the four, and then we already knew the Warriors were in. They were the first thing we reported because um, they were among one of the first people to get notified, and then and then we got uh, Optic, which we knew also applied. Optic was going to be in, uh, and then we also found out later Rockets and then Cavaliers and their venture affiliates that are also owned by Dan Gilbert. So, yep. um, yeah, I, I was a little surprised with how many people that got kicked out because I, I really only thought two at first. Yeah, it was uh, not, I wouldn't call it a full-on bloodbath, but definitely surprising. And I think the Immortals one is always going to be tough. I, I've spoken with a couple of folks at Riot and they very much like even themselves feel a little bit torn. Like here's this brand that's associated with LCS. Everybody likes what they do. They're fans of Immortals, but 
having that level of debt and the Overwatch League thing. Like, and, and I don't know that anyone would officially say this, but it feels like the Overwatch League thing potentially pushes that over because, like you said, there's no guarantee. They're, I mean, they're probably going to lose money in this Overwatch League deal too, and that right. makes what already looks not great on the books probably even worse. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're 100 percent right, right? Like, if you uh, if you're losing money already in LCS and you don't really have a way to make profit in LCS in the short term. And there is that rep pool that opens up immediately in 2018. If you're going to lose money in Overwatch League, like what are you contributing? Right, you're basically a leech at that point. Like you're you're taking money from Riot and the other teams, and you're not putting money back in. So, um, yeah, I mean, like Immortals doesn't have a lot of sponsors, and so it makes a lot of sense. Like they don't have a lot of income like Cloud9 and Optic do, where there's you know they're making content income and they're making income on merchandise because they're very popular. Right, Cloud Cloud9 is probably the second or third most popular brand in North America for all of esports uh, behind like TSM and Optic. So, um, and Optic is up there as well. So it's certainly. Uh, those teams are a little bit more established and sell more merchandise, have more sponsors. Um, they both have investment, and we're not honestly investment doesn't balance out on the books because you're still losing money if you just run off investment. Yes, which Immortals did uh, actually. Um, so you're not you're not breaking even, but um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Riot trusts Cloud9 and Optic a little bit more. Uh, to basically make good on it, even if they lose money in Overwatch, they'll make money otherwise to kind of contribute to that pool. No, it makes a lot of sense. So let's to wrap it up, let's bring it back to the EU. And looking into your crystal ball, none of this is reporting, mostly conjecture. Like, what do you think this EU LCS franchising ends up looking like? Do we see more teams? Is there anybody you're worried about not being in there? Um, you know, obviously, they're getting rid of promotion and relegation. So there's questions of, of teams that are involved in that process, possibly moving up to the LCS proper as part of this. Like, anything you want to predict there? So I think the biggest prediction is uh, a lot of the European teams, particularly the endemics, so you don't see good investments. So not Fnatic, not G2, not Misfits, and not Splice. Uh, everyone else, I think, is really concerned right now about the franchising fee because raising that money, and especially if, like, you know, um, a lot of the NA teams didn't know how much the fee was until June or May. And so they had two months, three months to raise money, $10 million. And so... Definitely don't think the fee will be $10 million because I don't think anyone will pay $10 million to be in the ELCS. Uh, I think that's nonsense. Definitely think that there will be a discount for endemic teams like there was in NA because you saw the non-endemics have to pay 13 rather than 10 So I think there will be some kind of discount to get back in the league. Um, but I certainly, like I said earlier, I think there will be a lot of marriages um, between non-endemic and endemic because I don't think Riot EU wants to see brands like Unicorns of Love uh, slip out of the league. And those that's a team that's like, basically runs off their own money and they don't you know they're not running off of big investment and so like i could see them being married with a soccer team and like them now being majority owned by a soccer team but ran by the same family that owns them and um so i think the biggest concern is what is the buy-in that's what i've heard lately and and riot's not told ownership riots i don't even think riots figured it out themselves um like what is the buy-in for that league and uh that's i think that's really going to set a tone because if it's a really high buy-in then that basically prices everyone else like the overwatch league right like that 20 million dollar buy-in priced everyone out uh except for the endemics that win got investment like your envy like your cloud nine it priced most people out of that were in overwatch and they couldn't be in there so um if it's a really high buy-in, then it's very clear what Riot's mission is. It's to price out the endemics and to find non-endemics and soccer teams and other entrepreneurs in the European region. Um, but if it's a lower buy-in, then I think you're going to see a little bit more like marriages or people f taking on funding and figuring things out. 
Interesting. I'll be uh, 2018 is going to be an interesting year because they got a little bit of time this time. They're not necessarily trying to rush it as much as it looked like they were originally going to when the first announcement came out about going with regional and things of that nature. But awesome. Well, Jacob, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Why don't you tell our audience where they can find more of your work? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Jacob in Wolf. Uh, you can find me on Facebook at the same thing, facebook.com slash Jacob in Wolf. Uh, ESPN does have an esports department, so I have to plug them as well. Uh, twitter.com slash ESPN underscore esports, and the same thing on Facebook, facebook.com slash ESPN underscore esports. Thank you guys for having me. Pleasure's all ours, Jacob. Thanks for joining us. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Seven sits down with E-League commentator Rip to talk about Group B of the Injustice 2 World Championship. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm here with Rip, one of the other outstanding commentators. We had Say Jam last week uh, for the uh, Injustice uh, 2 World Championship on E League. And uh, Rip, thanks for joining us. Yeah, a little late beer. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about Group A because it's. Um, it was a bit of a shocker, right? I mean, I believe everyone saw Sonic Fox making it through to the playoffs, but uh, what happened? Yeah, it was shocking. I mean, right out of the gate, you know, first match of the day, he goes up against Forever King, and, you know, it was really dominant, actually. Forever King just came out so strong, he took the set 3-1, to one, sent him to lose a bracket, and then, you know, it was just kind of like, wow, Sonic Fox didn't lose a bracket already. Uh, maybe, you know, this is where we'll see the real Sonic Fox. A lot of times in the past, when he gets to lose a bracket, that's kind of where you see him. You know, go to the next level, basically. Mm-hmm. But every single match he had in the loser bracket, even against guys like Hey George, who people really didn't give a lot of respect to, you know, just based on his current placings, uh, gave him a run for his money. Hey George should have been up 2-0 against him, but, like, had one major drop that really may have cost his entire set. Sonic Fox almost went 0-2 here. So it was just shocking stuff the whole day, and just he was off his game, it seemed. And, you know, that E-League stage, man, I've seen so many people crumble on it so far. It's just shocking. Well, and I think a lot of people sort of discounted the fact that you know his first round was against somebody who came from last chance qualifiers but mm-hmm. uh in that case forever king was, was one of the top five players in injustice 2 currently so right still- i mean yeah forever king although he didn't make it through you know just the structure of the series this year with the ips2 finals you had the top 16 players but then only eight of those guys made it in so whoever got ninth whoever got 16th you know like th- th- those guys despite being insanely good, are, they just got left out, right? Mm-hmm. So Forever King, he went to the LCQ, made it through there, and he showed up and he played his A game. He was honestly the best he's ever played. He said it himself after he uh, qualified. Uh, so, yeah, right time for him to, to peak, mm-hmm. essentially. So in the lower bracket, you talked a little bit about Sonic Fox uh, and kind of struggling. He almost staged a comeback against Forever King after switching off Captain Cold and, and moving over to Red Hood. But obviously, it was a change that came too late, him dropping uh, 3-1. So do you think Sonic Fox's ability to play competitively across multiple characters uh, like strategically backfired on him this time? Yeah, you know, I think he really miscalculated it. Because mm-hmm. from the very first set on the winner side of the bracket, the very first game against Captain Cold, I saw Forever King do the slide. And he did Batman slide right as Captain Cold put out his little sphere, you know, his, uh, his <laughs> ice sphere, his ice ball, basically, his snow globe. And when I saw it, I thought, man, was that an accident? Because it got him out of it right on time. And then he did it multiple times, and I realized, no, 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 he prepared for this Captain Cold matchup. And in that winner side of the bracket, he took him out in the first game, and, and immediately Sonic Fox switched to Red Hood. So when they had the run back and loser bracket, Sonic Fox stuck to Captain Cold for two games. And when he stuck with the second game, I'm like, this is over, because Forever King already knows this matchup. And so he took this huge lead early because 
Sonic Fox, you know, he risked more on the Captain Cold, even though Forever King was definitely prepared for it. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely an exciting uh, match to, to to check out. Um, it, a couple times, almost came back. But so let's talk a little bit about uh, Group B again. A, a group with no shortage of talent. Um, half this bracket is actually made up of, of players who currently sit in the top ten of the world rankings. Uh, who are the favorites, or, or is there a even a clear favorite in this field? Yeah, I mean, the the favorite right now, I feel like people are leaning towards Samij. He got second at the IPS2 Finals. I think he got second at Summer Jam as well. Uh, you know, the only person he lost to at the IPS Finals was Sonic Fox. And Sonic Fox no longer in the tournament, so you got to believe he's the favorite on paper, right? But then you've got these guys like Foxy Grandpa and Theo and Hayate, who got third at the, the IPS Finals. It's just, and Tekken Master even. It's just, there's so many people, and no matter who you say the top two coming out, it's like, wait, so you're saying these other three players aren't coming out? That's impossible. You right, know, so right. it, it's going gonna, gonna to be really crazy, right? So right now, I think the favorites have to be like Samij, and then maybe Hayate, or Theo, or Foxy, or Tekken Master. You know, but I think Samij is the number one favorite right now. Gotcha, gotcha. And uh, so... Of these, of, of the the people in Group B, um, the winners of this group have to score off against Dragon and Forever King. Do you see any of them being able to like pair up well against uh, the winners of Group A, or maybe even going all the way? Yeah, definitely. So Samij at Evolution, when he was eliminated, uh, at the time his teammate on Noble was Dragon, and Dragon tweeted out like, "I'm winning Evo," because the only person he was concerned about was Samij. Uh, so it, it seems like Dragon definitely has a little fear of Samiz going into it. And then previously in tournaments, every time that Dragon and Theo have met, it's been really close. And the last time I believe they met, Theo actually took it over him. So there are definitely people here who can take out Dragon. And I think the actual, the wild card is like, no matter who makes it out into this top four is Forever King. Like he's still waiting over there. And I think everyone is kind of underrating him still. Yeah. I, I think that's what happened with Group A altogether. So, um, Real quick, one, your your favorite maybe to who's going to take Group B? Your your caster choice. Try not to curse them like last time. <laughs> uh, you know, the person I want to win is Theo because you know I'm from the West Coast. I'm from Southern California. I've basically watched Theo grow up as an Injustice player way back from Injustice One. We use the same character in Superman, so he's the one I want to win. Um, however. Uh, I just I, he hasn't he hasn't been consistent in this in this entire tournament series so far. You know he's he's a guy who originally beat Sonic Fox, then immediately got picked up by X Fox after doing so, and then you know since then hasn't really beaten Sonic Fox anymore. But Sonic Fox isn't in the tournament, so maybe just maybe he can still do it here, right? <laughs> awesome. So I think I think awesome. I think Theo is, is the guy I want to win this group, and I think it's too unpredictable. Uh, even though Samij is the favorite on paper, I just I don't I don't see it happening. All right, we'll see if uh, you can do better than say Jam and not curse your pick. So, <laughs> so uh, thanks, Rep, for for joining us. Fans can follow the live digital coverage of Group B's matches beginning Friday at six p.m. across Twitch, eLeague.com, and YouTube. Uh, live TBS coverage will continue Friday, uh, this Friday, November third at ten p.m. with uh, Group B followed by the championship round also at ten p.m. on uh, on TBS Friday, November tenth. And uh, Rip, thanks a ton for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we are back. And I am joined uh, once again with our resident League of Legends expert, Alex Magdaleno from Bleach Report Esports. Alex, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. 
it's uh, it's been it's been a rough weekend. It's been a great weekend. We're we're both here at BlizzCon. We have to say great because that's what we're told to say. It's been very tough. <laughs> uh, there's a lot going on. for all of you. Like I think we had this all point in our career, mine much further back than Alex's, in which you're like, man, this would be so cool if I could cover video games and esports for a living. Like, <laughs> I'll get a press pass. I'm gonna see all sorts of cool stuff. And then you get to do it. And it's like I'm locked in a room with PR people for like 12 hours. Yeah, but it's the, it's all it's all the magic that goes into it. Alex is still young. He's enjoying the effervescence of life. <laughs> I'm an old fart and going, oh, get me out of here. But that's not what we're here to talk about. We are actually here to talk about why we are also tired and got no sleep last night. Because the League of Legends World Championships took place starting at 1130 A last night. A little bit night. earlier. Hmm? A little bit earlier than they usually start yeah. started. So we had that. I was at a really long opening ceremony, but at least I had dragons. Dragons, yes. Dragons are awesome. Um, that made me feel a little bit better. That was yes. great. Um, it was not a Super Bowl halftime show. And that's no, good. not at all. No Lady Gaga jumping off. Oh, God. No Just dragons God. soaring through the sky. If like we get Lady Gaga on a are. dragon, would that be okay? Like, Because they'd have it's, to have the celebrity. It's better. It's better. <laughs> it's better. It's like, so it goes dragon, Lady Gaga on dragon, Lady Gaga. Like, that's the... uh, and then, like, uh, Beyonce, dragon, Beyonce oh. on a dragon. Lady Gaga. We know where your allegiances lie yeah. now. Clearly a Beyonce fan. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know where this podcast is going. We are going to talk about League of Legends, though. We, of course, had Samsung Galaxy in a rematch from last year's Worlds against SKT. We were expecting a monumental... I mean, it was 3-2 last year. We thought this year was going to be even closer. You, you and I had a long discussion about how we're like, oh, this is a really hard one to call... Well, little did we know that it was not actually as hard as we thought it was going to be. Yes, it definitely lived up to sort of expectations that I think we just didn't want to vocalize. <laughs> like, we didn't want to be the people to doubt SKT. But in reality, I think SKT throughout the tournament showed that the doubts were founded. And Samsung, yeah. on the other hand, that the hype was real. They really were the best team at Worlds 2017, and it wasn't really even close. No, it was... Like you said, I think we were all, and the casters were included, were drinking the Don't Doubt the SKT Kool-Aid. Like, you have to. Yeah, if I had a shot every time somebody said that, I would have not made it through Game 1 because I would have been drunk and passed out. Like, yes. it was... Everybody was fully on board with SKT, and you're right. Like, everything you and I talked about and chose to ignore is yes. exactly how it played out. Yeah. Stronger a team across the board. They understood the meta yep. way better than SKT did. And SKT, just weak. Like, Faker aside, not playing very well. Yeah, Huni was pretty hit or miss. He was either going to go off or he wasn't. Uh, Bang and Wolf were just not in form at all. Probably some of the worst form that they've ever been in. And then the peanut blank situation is one that's been like pro a problem for SKT throughout this yep. year. So I don't I don't think you expected any sort of like strength there, right? Even right. if well, you know when you played with blank, they were better. It's still a confusing situation to have to deal with. Yeah, yeah. When they created, and I think a lot of people when that move was made were questioning like, is this really necessary? Yeah. <laughs> like, do we need to put ourselves in this situation? And it bit them. Yeah, it really did. So let's talk about game one. Um, the most decisive game, the, the what we would call the statement game. The statement game, which is a great statement game. Or ga game one coming out with that win. It's I can't think of a better situation. You really get in the heads of SKT at that point. I had the entire match. Yeah. Like not just a head in 
like cruise control. Not yeah. in. I was gonna say in control, but it was in cruise control. Yeah, like, they were. They, it didn't even look like they were trying. They were just operating like they knew, like they were playing against bots. Honestly, yes. It was just like this is what needs to be done. This step, okay, we accomplish that next, which is really strange because on paper in the draft, SKT should have beat them. Yes. The cast matchup into Malzahar up to six is cast favored. The Gragas matchup into Zach is definitely Gragas favored. He can put out the early aggression that Zach really can't. Uh, I guess in top lane, you got the counter pick, which was fair because they let them have that. Yep. And then bot lane, they they had an even lane. Um, they even actually had a better laner in Lulu than Janna. Yep. But none of that manifested at some point bot lane had like a good like maybe like 20 cs lead but that's really all they had and it w- they never really struggled there was no like ever any kill pressure down there faker was able to put some pressure into malzahar uh but crown ran tp and he pushed him into the into this first on the first wave he like pushed him in but he didn't really miss anything under turret because he was able to like re-soak that pressure back up with the tp he yep. just tp right back yeah um and then Kuve was just winning top lane. Yeah, it was... I'd say dominant, but that's not even, like, the words I'm searching for because dominant would, like, paint this picture of just, like, lost team fights and, like, massive map control and, like... It was just, like, this slow... Like, you... It was, like, an instructional video for yeah. how to play competitive League of Legends. Like, this is how you play the Korean meta or what people like to call the Korean meta. Um, yeah. It's just... It was clean. It was clean. Very clean. Um... They they had no problems. There's no hiccups. They only ever got... It was almost a perfect game besides the one tower that... Yep. that Two total objectives for SKT. And it's like, what more could you ask for from Samsung? And then you're leaving... You're going to the next game with so much... Asking so much of SKT. Yeah, because like... You made the right choices. The draft was theirs, as you said. Like, they were the favorite in that matchup. You're supposed to technically be the better team. Like, you know, despite our blindness, yeah. like you're supposed to be the better team. And Samsung just made it look easy. Like, yeah. and everyone came out of that first game, maybe for the first time, like Samsung took some games off of them last year, but I don't think we ever looked at it and went, this is going to happen. Like legitimately felt like this was going to happen. And I felt that way after that match ended. I uh, See, it wasn't until the second game where SKT was able to show their early game prowess and they were able to amount an early game lead, and then they threw it, which is so unlike SKT. Right. Usually they just come out of the gate, and that's it. If you can't soak that early pressure, it's just like... Yeah. It. So it's, it usually goes one of two ways, where they are have the early game lead, and then they snowball that, and then they win. Yep. Or, like what happened a lot in this world, they didn't get that early game lead. They completely ignored the early game, but somehow, out of some miraculous faker like miracle they come back they come back yep um and it's not even like a faker like miracle they, it's, it's like an ex well executed team fight yep. they play the objectives right they they, they punish mistakes they, you know? yes it's classic skt it goes though usually one of those two ways and this was neither this was a complete opposite yeah. they absolutely threw the game and they did it again in game three yeah it was it was so strange so this one like they got ahead and samsung just like okay and again, like, never looked rattled. I was blown away by the confidence this year versus last year. Yeah. Like, they were never once looked like, oh, well, it's getting a little out of control. Even when they were not ahead, both in game two and in game three, where in which they literally spent the entire game behind. Like, yeah. 
won while still behind, technically. Mm-hmm. Like, it never felt that way. I never got this feeling of like, oh, man, it's starting to slip away. Like, Samsung's like, oh, God. It was, no. It was like, they, yeah. they got that. They're like, oh, okay, okay, we got they this. Were, they were never panicked. They were never made desperate moves. And it was because, I think, that, you know, after that first game, and just if you're looking at the, the run-up of both teams to the finals, I think that Samsung had respect for SKT, but it's hard to ignore that run and the messiness of that run and not have that factor into your mindset when you're playing them. It's like, you know that it's not the SKT of old. It's a different SKT. It's one that's struggling. And you have this newfound confidence in yourself, I think, especially when you're, you're winning like especially after game one when you win so cleanly off of a draft that you're not really supposed to win so cleanly that early. Um, I think that factors in to game two and game three where, yeah, like you said, they were down. They were down in gold, but they always had this confidence and this control over the situation where they they didn't seem like they're like flustered and they needed to go make a play. They knew that if they took it to a barren team fight that they would win because they were the better team. They had this right. confidence that did not exist in this Samsung last year. Yeah, yeah. It was it was really, really crazy to watch. I mean, if we go back to that second match, which on paper, SKT looked significantly stronger than they mm-hmm. did in the first match. We talked about them coming out early. They, they were getting objectives. There was some you know much earlier first blood. Like Things were kind of going the right direction. Mm-hmm. But the matchups still were not going well for them. Like They still were not doing the things you'd expect SKT to do, and there just seemed to be this tipping point. I think it was probably about like the 18, 20-minute mark, somewhere mm-hmm. around there, where it just like like a snap of a finger a couple of minutes later, and like the game completely did a 180. Yeah, and it, it that was actually the game, too, where their first Baron attempt... No, that was the first game, where their first Baron attempt yes. got stolen. Yes. We'll ignore that. It wasn't that <laughs> clean, guys. Um but yeah, it we was overstated. People are already angry at us. I know, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, they it was yeah around eighteen twenty minutes, like the the mid game, um, where it just fell apart for SKT. Yep, and um, it was all their fault. Like, and it's so bad because like I don't want to take anything away from Samsung because they played amazing. Yeah, but like that's SKT. Like that was their fault. They let that happen. Yeah, and it was you could even go a little bit further. I'm not usually one to like try to point people out, <laughs> but like let's call a spade a spade and say that like bang your positioning, like where were you at? Like I mean, yep. You're constantly in non-advantageous positioning. He was constantly caught out and if you're 80 carry in an 80 carry meta is gone in a team fight right when the entire support meta is built around buying this one item to make the ad carry stronger and you're not there and you're not there it's like it's hard it, everyone just put their hands up and say all right we'll die like it's like that's i think in like we talked about how last time how faker absolutely carried um against rng in this situation he uh bang completely was gone he was right. gone in the last in the rng series he was in some parts he was there he played a good kogma he played like he played a good tristana um he was uh, he was a an actual part that skt could use here he was just like kind of gone he went missing yeah and faker can only do so much and i I, mm-hmm. I still think faker did well i don't know that he necessarily did it was not the heroic effort he put in against rng no 
And that was that's the problem here, right? Like, if you go into these finals either needing the other team, you know, the other members of your team to all step up, or you need Faker to continue to shoulder the entire load against what arguably probably is a good of a team, if not slightly better than RNG. It's debatable, depending on how you slice it. Yeah. But, like, clearly a team ready to whoop your ass. <laughs> and, and, like, it can't be all on Faker. You're not going to win Worlds. It's no longer to the level where the Worlds can be won because... Faker carried you the entire way. And if that's true, but also, why are you putting him on these champions where he can't do that? I think, it, I mean, granted, Samsung was banning away the Talia and the Galio, um, but, like, that third pick, the Karma pick, like, yeah, yeah. you're down worlds, It's elim- you're facing elimination, you're putting your star carry, who's had a heroic performance for you in the series before in the semifinals, who is the greatest player to ever play League of Legends, and you're putting him on karma. In the decisive game, keeping the destiny alive, you know. It's... I, I don't know. I really don't know. It's it's such a questionable pick. When you, you clearly saw, like, if he doesn't have somebody to carry you, nobody else on the team showing up. Like, they hadn't shown up in game one. They hadn't shown up in game two. W- what was going to be different? Like, what was the strategy going in with that karma pick that you thought, like, this is going to be the thing that is going to get us to win in game three against Samsung? I guess I guess you you think that with the Leona bot lane, you have a, a like higher kill lane per- percentage. So you're really out, allowed to be aggressive. And then uh, karma only really needs a certain amount of items with the Ardent Sensor to be effective. So you can potentially snowball it, but it's just such a risky draft, and it requires such a high level of execution that for an, like maybe last year SKT, it's fine. Yes, we wouldn't like, bat an eye. It's like yeah, they probably could pull it off because they're in great form. Yeah, this as if you're struggling, if you're struggling to even play the meta, like doing this sort of like tweak to it where you're putting the sensor in mid lane, it just it seems like it was too much. I mean, you going back to that first game, you mentioned, like, they won that draft, and they still couldn't put it together. So what makes you think, like, going off meta slightly, like, yeah. to try something creative, not the time to do it. Yeah. Like, it's, it's as horrible as it sounds, you never think you'd want to say this about SKT, but, like, they should have gone with a safe pick. Yeah. Like, they really should have. And I think that, I mean, I don't, it's not Faker's fault in any way, but I think maybe that's the reason why he broke down the way he did. Because after, when he was crying and just, you know, not just crying, he was sobbing. Right. I think he's a type of player, you know, that puts that sort of pressure on himself. Yep. Um, even when that pressure doesn't really exist, you know, drafting is a team-wide thing. It's, yes. You know, you go into it with a coach who has some sort of, you know, idea of what the other team wants to do and knows his team strengths. And then we've even found out a lot more this year because drafting has become such a, like, topic of conversation like i mean it is every year but for some reason it really bubbled up to the surface this year about how players do have a vocal say if they don't want to play galio even though the coach thinks that galio is a good spot like cloud nine did jensen didn't want to play it so they were like all right we're not playing galio um so yeah it's a team-wide thing but faker i think you know he had a chance to if i think he thought that if skt was going to win this world it would have been on his back and right. 
they got three out in the finals. It's very likely that he thought maybe I can do this. Like I will. This will be the turning point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the weight of the entire tournament because as we've talked about many times, he has been the one who has led them through a majority of this knockout stage, and maybe that was just it for him. He's been carrying the team almost the entire knockout stage. Like there's just like this feeling of like, fuck it, I'm done. Right? Yeah. Like. I can't blame the guy. Like, I know he's getting, you know, some people give him some shit, and they're like, oh, you know, it's not Reddit being Reddit and whatnot, but it it really does just feel like he was carrying this team on their back. Mm -hmm. He is, uh, I know this may be a bit of an overstatement, he cares more than anybody else on that team, in my opinion, for 100%. And that's hard. Like, he probably had a say in that move, and when that move didn't work out and they lost 3-0, like, he hasn't really tasted that. Yeah. And it, it brings up the, the conversation of whether or not the the SKT dynasty is over. Yeah. And I think I'm of the opinion that it is, but I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. A lot of people, I think, are like to think that, oh, it's just one loss, you know? Right, right. It's one loss, you know, dynasties are built on way larger things than that. Right. You can go over a 10 period of time, and if you win like five championships, it's, it's still a dynasty. dynasty. Yeah. yeah. Um, but. I think it's I think it's good that it's over. I think a lot of people don't want it to be over because the the SKT dynasty and SKT as a team has this sort of mystique around them that we like to think we don't love, but we do. I think we I mean, it's always those things like, oh, it's SKT in the finals. It's a feeling again. of safety is what we know. It's kind of it feels like even though it's not the case, it feels like it's always been that way. Yeah, it feels like this is what this is what League of Legends on the international stage is. And as much as we don't like seeing or like we like saying that we don't like seeing SKT on the finals of MSI or uh, Worlds, it's comfortable. It's comfortable to know that. And uh if I remember when MS when EDG won MSI it was a real shocker, and it didn't feel right, but it was great. It was better for League of Legends as a whole, I think. And then now, it's not only that we have a new world champion. I feel like we have a new king of Korea, which didn't really exist before. Even if Longzu like won this earlier, this season earlier, or if like SKT didn't didn't win finals i don't, can't even really remember off the top of my head when that didn't happen but anytime they've been like uh challenged it never really felt like a challenge but here when you think about samsung's run to worlds even before worlds getting in the gauntlet where they had to 3-0 kitty then they 3-0 longzu in quarterfinals yep and now they 3-0 skt the reigning world champions on the biggest stage possible it's hard to not say that they're not the best team not in the world, but I think more importantly in Korea. And so I, I think that's why people are a little bit like hesitant to say the dynasty is dead because it, that means so much more than just the dynasty is dead, you know? That their world's dynasty isn't dead, but kind of like SKT as this like immovable object is has been it's been pushed off the ledge. I think you can make the argument that SKT at their peak, much stronger than Samsung Galaxy currently is, which yeah. means that Korea, being the king of Korea, doesn't necessarily mean next year you will be the king of League of Legends. And I think no. that's the part that is scary. Yeah, because uh, a Samsung that beat them 3-0 in the finals, also, I mean, it's best of ones, but RNG like pretty manhandled them in the group stage, 2-0 them. Yep. So like, 
And RNG was not, you know, a couple bad draft choices is the only, in my opinion, one of the only reasons why it was not RNG versus Samsung. Yeah. Uh, you could question whether it was not, it was smart to give them Galio after the third game, <laughs> after the fourth game, in the fifth game. It's like, Come on, guys. Troll now? Like, yeah, like, what are we doing? Um, but yeah, like, if they maybe made a little bit, like, smarter draft decisions and executed their, or just, like, executed the drafts that they did have a little bit better, um, knowing like they wanted to play into the galio like willingly like execute there better but mm-hmm. um yeah they're they're close to even being the the ones who ended the dynasty in the semifinals yep. so it's not korea anymore it it could not be korea anymore i would <laughs> i would be i would be hesitant to say it's not korea anymore because <laughs> i'm still that person who wants to like measure my, like like i don't know <laughs> I I am it is an uncertain future ahead of us in League of Legends, but it would be like kind of insane to say that maybe like Korea isn't back there. I don't know. I I, I, I think I'm couching still, my yes, my, my and judgments. you do that. I, I can get away with it because people will just send me angry emails regardless. But I I think I think Korea is still in the conversation. Yeah. I I still think like Samsung will be back there. They'll be strong. Like. Who knows? Like RNG have had weaker seasons in the past, right? Like this doesn't necessarily guarantee that like they're going to come back with the same team and as strong as ever. But there's also a lot of change going on in Korea. I, I think we're not necessarily confident that this is the SKT organization that we will get back next season because there That's is some point. questions about who's going to be on that squad. Yeah, if you, I think if you just look top to bottom, the only person that you're ever really confident about staying is Faker. Yep. Um, and even that's even after this like completely broken human that we saw. Right. That I don't have to stop talking about because the <laughs> mental image <laughs> is haunting. Like, no. uh, you never want to see your heroes cry. Yeah. And so let's erase that memory. <laughs> I need a moment. You do. You do expect him to come back because he's not. He's a competitor, and, and this he loves League of, League of yeah. Legends. So this will. This is kind of in a in a good in some way a good thing. Because it'll spur him to yep. complete compete. We're not going to lose Faker, guys. We're not going to lose him. No, but it almost feels like this is almost healthy in the standpoint of like, and we'll talk about this in a minute when we talk about Bang, for example, where this reignites those competitive fires because you aren't the best. Mm-hmm. For right now, regardless of what you say, you know, obviously you can have your arguments about which team on paper is better, but for all intents and purposes, where it matters, Samsung is the better team right now. Yes, and that will not set well with him. Yes, um, and so speaking of. Bang, he, him and Wolf have been sort of, you know, there's been talks of them having less drive for the game, losing motivation. Um, one of them has said that they just find the game boring at this point. Not that the game is boring, but that the the level of like competition and right. like what it takes to compete at the highest level, especially in Korea, is just boring because they're used to it. Um, so especially after these kind of performances where, they were in some of the worst form they've ever shown internationally. It's it's hard to say that they come back or that SKT signs them back. Um, I'm like they could, but they also probably could retire. Maybe go take a fat check from China, <laughs> which is very um, common. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like a, a move for them. I I it's either way, it's a question mark for that bottom lane. Uh, the Huni situation. He came here to SKT to win a world championship. Yeah. Something that's sort of eluded him since he was in EU when he got the closest. Yep. And in Immortals, they never even have a shot. Right. Um, but he he expressly came here 
to get that title. And I don't know if he sticks around. If, if other pieces team, start to move, right? Yeah, like, if other pieces start to move. And also, he doesn't really have a firm spot on SKT. Right. Um, even coming up into Worlds, it was a really very real possibility that Untara was the one that they selected. Um, and then they chose the jungle sub situation. Right. Um, Huni was, you know, he's hit or miss. Yep. He was hit or miss this tournament, and he might not be the the piece that SKT needs to win and get back into winning form and, you know, get that world's title, maybe continue the dynasty, if you think of it like that. Yep. Um, and then in the, in the jungle sub situation, it's kind of the same thing. Like, you have Blink, who is performing, but does Blink stay around? If he is, like, he was the second best player on that team, surely somebody could pick him up and give and offer him a starting position that SKT might not. Right. And then on the other hand, you have Peanut, who just didn't seem to ever work in SKT. Uh, he, I still think he's one of the best junglers, but in a system where you have everyone playing around Faker, even if Faker doesn't want you to play around him. Like, even if he doesn't want the team to be played around him, like in this Karma game, he'll still find a way to... He still carries this aura, not with his own team and against the enemy. Yep. That it that is his penis level of aggression and his aggressive play will never work there. No, because um, it can't be the driver like it was at Rocks, right? Like, when yes. he was at Rocks, like, that team was Peanut's team. Yeah, he played behind him. He dictated their pace. He dictated their aggressiveness. You were never going to do that in SKT. And was, you wouldn't want him to. Yeah, it was a beautiful thing to see. And I think in SKT, he was just kind of caged. Yep. So does he stick around in a situation where does he learn to adapt his play because he wants to play with Faker? I still think that Peanut and Faker could make a good combo, maybe. But it's up to him to if you know he gets a different offer where a team is more willing to play around him, maybe with like like younger to like mid-level players who have been around for a little bit like he gets to lead them be that all-star like i don't know does he does he leave yeah really i guess depends on what he wants right like i'm sure when he left rocks and came to skt he probably thought world title right like that's the same thing i think he, yeah i think he thought i i thought that when that first when that, that announcement yeah. yeah when that was first announced it i think it was Hard to think anything other than that. You just had this jungler, jungler who had a breakout performance at Worlds, gave us the best match, Worlds match, I think, ever, that yep. Rocks Tigers SKT match. Uh, he gave us that. He performed cr- incredibly. And then he joins the team that just won Worlds. Yep. You, you, we went into the season going, well, this is going to be an easy one. Yeah, it's like it's like going into the NBA season every year and thinking like, oh, well, it's going to be the Cavs and the yeah. Oh, now the Warriors have added Durant. Like, yeah, and, and, that's but, what it felt like. It felt like you were adding Kevin Durant to SKT. Yep. And, but oddly enough, it's there's two ways that can go, and this went the, the wrong way, right? Like some will say, oh, another piece. Like, oh my God, could they get more powerful? But what happens is it almost feels like an unsettled what they had working for them. Mm-hmm. And you end up in the situation with blank where it's like, how do you choose, right? Like, what do you do in that situation? Yeah, and it's that makes perfect sense, too, because SKT is always a team that's known to be playing a system. And I think now, like, looking back, 
there's a lot of things that they added to that system that were never going to work. Hooney's never going to work in a system. You can't. Hooney's one of those, like, he's going to be a flash in the pan, right? Like He, he wants does... to play Lucian top. Yeah. That's what he wants to do. It's like, that's all, just like, in my contract, please. Like, it's, I don't know, it's a weird situation. I get why they did it. They're trying to get better. They're trying to adapt. They saw what we're seeing, which is that everybody else is getting better. Mm-hmm. And that has to be a little scary for them. And they like we. I mean, kudos to them for being proactive about it, right? Yeah. China's getting better. Korea obviously is like always a challenge. Like Samsung's coming up on their heels. Like obviously, like a lot of people thought Longzhu was going to be the the team to do it this season, and that like had to scare them. They just made a misstep. They miscalculated. They put too many. You can't have two spots questionable in a very system driven organization, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it was. Like, if you never don't know who you're putting on that map from match to match, game to game, that's hard to build up consistency over the course of a season. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a that's a good way to look at it too. If you are, if you want to believe that the the dynasty is still alive, it's like you know this happens all the time in in franchises where they they make a misstep. You know they they. Thought it was going to go one way when they added this player, and it didn't. It yep. failed. Now they're going to rebuild, and it'll be fine. The dynasty will be back, and that may end up being the case. I I think there's a there's there's change afoot throughout all of League of Legends. You know, we have the franchising coming up at NALCS. We have EU coming in 2019. We know they want to get there eventually. You've got a lot of money from traditional sports organizations now starting to come into NALCS, and if they want their faker. You know, whoever that ends up being when they're ready mm-hmm. to pull that trigger, they will get them. Yeah. They, and I'm not saying this will go this way, but there is a chance it will go this way where they will throw enough money around that the super team comes to NA, right? Like, yeah. they will be NA players. I promise you that. It will be full of, like, Koreans and Chinese players and maybe Berkson. <laughs> like, that'll be it. But, like, that's, that's, you know, there's a lot of change of foot. So there, I would put some money, not a lot of money, but I put some money on, like, this could be, like, a major tipping point for all of League of Legends. Yeah. This could also be the post-Worlds Ether, and we're a little drunk, and we're just going to come back to like an SKT Samsung final next year, and we'll reminisce about how every year we go through this conversation, and we get all wistful about where League of Legends is going, and we're right back to square one. Yes, I think that either outcome has a potential. I think, though, like you said, change is afoot. It's, I've had this weird feeling all throughout Worlds. I think maybe it started with Misfits. And they're like just their run. It just feels like there is something changing within yep. League of Legends right now. And whether or not that's just maybe infrastructure starting to build in these regions, like in these Western regions that like don't really, never really had it right. at the same. I mean, I, they're still far off from Korea, but it's getting they're closer. getting there yep. and they're learning how to not only just play the quote unquote Korean meta, but the meta that suits them and that that the Korean meta doesn't have an answer to. They're dictating the meta as opposed to following the meta. Yeah. Like, and that's a big change. And who's to say that a Misfits or an RNG to, or a Team WE or like even like a Cloud9 that has gone DSM. relatively deep, right? DSM. <laughs> I was purposely avoiding DSM because that's a whole other conversation. Who's to say they don't go and get that missing piece? It's It's, I mean... The money will be there, I guess. Yes. The money will... I mean, it'll be there in NA next season. In two seasons, I guarantee you it's going to be in EU. You, If you're nuts, if you don't think somebody's going to come in like Manchester, and you, one of the Manchester clubs, mm-hmm. Paris Saint-Germain, you know, there's yeah. all this money flying around. We've already seen it with like Schalke and a few of the other yeah. companies getting into the LCS system. And if they take a comp- you know, an organization like Misfits and like, oh, we almost made it. What do we need to get there? Yeah. Here's the check. Like, 
it could happen. And it does feel that way. And some of it could be just like we're closer to it than we've ever been. Like this franchising stuff is kind of like blown open a bit, like the behind the scenes of what's going on and the and the parts that totally. maybe are missing that we haven't thought about, right? It's always very easy to say, Koreans have been playing this game forever and they're just better at esports. But as you start to see like the systematic differences from an organizational standpoint and a financial standpoint mm-hmm. between Korea and the rest of the world, and then you start to see how Riot is, you know, purposely forcing it to change. It leads you to believe that there's a pretty damn good chance that if not next year, in the next five years, we're having a very different conversation about what the meta looks like as far as like countries and who's dictating it mm-hmm. and who the powerhouse teams actually end up being. Yeah, and I think I think that's a fair point. And then when you toss in what just happened last night at Worlds, where the defending champs were broken and their roster going forward is uncertain, like it's a it's. I think that underlines the the feelings of change that are happening right now yep. because the dynasty is over and I know a lot of people don't want to hear that but it is and it's fine it's healthy that it's over like cuz something new is going to come out of it yep. but he could have another faker could they could build another team in a couple of years around faker he's young he's like 21 22 years maybe old. the faker dynasty is not over cuz yeah. faker because he's a, it's like LeBron, right? He's a powerhouse. Wherever he yeah. goes, they're going to be successful. The question just is, is where is that going to be, or who are they going to put around him? Yeah. Assuming he stays in SKT. Uh, yeah. So yeah, we'll see where it goes. I mean, it's. I always like this part of worlds because we can say all these things with less repercussions. Yeah, we, because... you can just say it and get it out. Get all those like romantic feelings you've had about this League of Legends and get them out there. Yeah. And then so we can you know buckle down for another All Korean Final next yeah. year. It'll be. And then get right back into that. Those. I'll start writing my notes for next year. Like, who are going to be my picks next year to uh, <laughs> overtake SKT and then fail miserably at it? Awesome. Well, Alex, thank you so much. This has been an awesome recap of Worlds. Why don't you tell the listeners where else they can find your work? Uh, you can find Bleacher Report Esports at bleacherreport.com slash esports. And then on <laughs> so social, many. you can find us uh, at Twitter. We're BREsports underscore. And then on Instagram, we're BREsports. Um, you can find me. Uh, I'm Amags, A-M-A-G-Z-Z, pretty much everywhere. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us once again. Uh, make me sound like I somewhat know what I'm talking about. League of Legends. <laughs> thank you an for awesome having job. me back. Whew, that was probably the single most that we have ever talked about League of Legends on this show. And we said that last week, and we have at least two times as much <laughs> League of Legends on this show that we had on last show. So for all the haters, fuck you. Like, I just think like that was a ton of League of Legends. Alex is awesome. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, we'll get a little bit of time to recover. Uh, we're going to be back next week with all our BlizzCon coverage. We have a lot to talk about. Um, I got the chance to sit down with Sam Braithwaite to look back at the first year of the HGC, the future of Heroes Esports. Uh, you and I are going to talk about the Overwatch World Cup, which was amazing, and NA had a strong showing, but maybe not necessarily where you thought they were going to. Uh, the HGC Grand Finals, WoW Arena World Championships had a big upset. The SC2 Finals also took place at BlizzCon, and we had the Overwatch League panel that made some crazy announcements that we will have tons to say on, um, and rumor has it we might have some special guests to help us do all that. We we hope we'll have special guests. We don't know if they're special. They'll be guests. Yes. But special is, uh, that's, a, that's a term we can't always use for everyone. That, that is true. That is true. It may just end up being <laughs> like Seven's kids, like just in the background, like shouting and yeah. screaming. Which will yeah, sound a yeah. lot like Reddit, so you know it's. <laughs> yeah, Reddit. I, I raise Reddit children. Uh, that's, <laughs> I have my I have my own my own subreddit, which is uh, no, that actually, ooh, man, FBI on me in like any minute. All right, anyways, careful, move along, careful, move careful. along. That got awkward. As always, you can catch. <laughs> 
our latest episode every Monday, well, except after BlizzCon, um, on iTunes, Evercast, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn, and of course on our site over at nerfthis.gg. We also have our RSS feed and a few other places you can find us. We put out bonus content throughout the week on YouTube, Twitch, and Anchor. Our username over there is nerfthisgg. And for the latest from the whole crew, you can follow us on Twitter at nerfthiscrew and Facebook and Instagram at nerfthisgg, which we actually we were pretty active on the Instagrams this weekend, and it turns out uh, there's some esports fans over there on Instagram. Finally. We finally found our home. Our home is Instagram. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. We're not even going to be a podcast anymore. We're just going to be an Instagram post repeatedly. Yeah, you did some modeling on Instagram. Like, there's some, like, finger guns and... Oh, that made on Instagram? I haven't seen that yet. Oh, yes, man. Yes, yes. Oh. If you're not following us on Instagram, you're missing out on some <laughs> awkward uh, Seven Meets Tracer photos. So make sure to spin on over to that Instagram page. <laughs> Seven creeping on Tracer. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, her booty nerf did not uh, make you disinterested. So... <laughs> Before we get ourselves in any more trouble, that's going to do it for this week's episode. We will be back next Monday with yet another episode of Nerf This. I remember this one dude at, like sending out an email and he accidentally like CC'd like the wrong group and it went out to like a huge group of people. It was like 30,000 people. And uh, he he's like basically asking for like a cheat sheet for the driver's thing and everybody blew his ass up. Like <laughs> it was like, do us all a fucking favor and learn how to drive. Like just <laughs> learn how to drive, read the fucking book, read the rules, learn how to drive. Fuck the like, cheat sheet. Great. Just all we need is another bad driver on the road because you were too fucking lazy to read a twenty page book. Exactly.